When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone has a story, and the struggles of being human is something no one is immune to. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Adesi, licensed therapists and hosts of Getting Better Stories of Mental Health. In this new podcast, we talk with Megan Trainer, Chris Bosch, Rebel Wilson, Ian Summerhalder, and more about their struggles and how they overcame them. From the challenges of motherhood, to immigrating to a new country, to battling life-altering illnesses, our guests' stories are simply awe-inspiring. We all struggle with something, and now we want to talk about it. All of it. The deep, the heavy, and the hard parts of being a human. Join us as we explore these challenges and normalize talking about mental health. Find our new podcast, Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health, on iHeart, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Good evening and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am joined by the one, the only Matt Candela. Matt, how are you doing? Oh, well, I uh, didn't see that one coming, to be honest. I was complacent myself, uh, guilty as charged like the rest of the team. And now just trying to process uh, an absolutely uh, shocking result. And with it, probably our best hope of... normally It's normally our best hope of a trophy. So, um, yeah. Very, very disappointed. Lots to get into. And I'm joined by Johnny, who doesn't look like he's uh, drinking a Peroni today. It looks like he's on a, a watertight beverage. Is Johnny dry January and sad January at the same time? Johnny, how you doing? Um, yeah, so about the beverage situation, I've been on the Heineken, Heineken non-alcoholic version, so they've been going quite... They've been going quite well, actually. I must say, I enjoyed them through the game. I think if it was full strength Heineken, I might have, you know, thrown something through the TV after what I just watched. So I'm pleased there was no alcohol in the beverage. And yeah, just the water because, you know, my, my throat feels parched after that performance. It was dry as, you know, it was dry as a slipper. It was awful. <laughs> and that, that, I mean, <laughs> do you know what got me? 
Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into loads of this anyway as we go on. But when I saw Nuno Tavares dropping a performance like that, I was like, oh my goodness, this is it's rotten. It's stinking the gaff up. He's making everyone else play poorly because of how bad he's playing. This is really, this is really shit. Get him off and then let's start playing. And then he went off and it was like, everyone else caught the bug. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like It just spread everywhere. And there were so many shocking performances. Shock, when I'm saying shocking performances, really, really low level. We were well beaten. Uh, you know, this is no smash and grab. Uh, this was a team who outplayed us, outfought us. And I mean, it's absolutely God awful, isn't it? That's the FA Cup. That's gone. It's not like we're in Europe and you go, oh, the games are mounting up anyway. That, that was a big, big, you know, potential uh, trophy for us. One of our biggest chances. Obviously, we are in the semis of um, the League Cup. But I mean, to go out like that, there, there will need to be some serious rebukes handed out. And, you know, we can't see anything, you know, hide nor hair of this performance again till the end of the season because this was as bad as it gets, realistically. Yeah. You two are doing dry January. I'm doing extra large Peroni. Um, in, I've got an IV drip of it, of bourbon <laughs> going on behind me. And uh, I don't regret it. I'm glad that I'm not uh, on the struggle bus of a non-alcoholic January right now because... Uh, that was absolutely shocking. And we do have lots to get into. Johnny, you kind of did a hottest take without being asked today. Uh, so I can't imagine what you've got lined up for the real one. Uh, so we are <laughs> going to go to the hottest of takes. Matt, hit me with the hot take and uh, and make it super powerful because I want to be burnt to a cinder right now. Oh, I'm going to burn you. I think, um, you know, we, after the Man City game, Johnny and me were, especially on, on, the, on the whistle, were saying it was the best performance in five years and we may have lost, but didn't really matter that much because all the signs pointed to a bold bright future but in amongst that we did look forward and go but you know what we've got a really really tough run of games this month we've got Liverpool twice we've got Spurs away you know it's 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 it, it's nasty it's nasty and the danger of losing any game of football is that you just lose momentum we're on such a good run of wins and what we hoped was that it wasn't a momentum stopper it was a it was it, every, the players were able to see the benefit and everyone felt good what we've seen now is is not that is 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 our momentum has gone from many many wins in a row to two defeats on the bounce with some really really difficult games ahead of us we've got two extremely tough games coming up away at anfield and then with a very very thin squad and then away at Spurs on Sunday for the biggest game of our season and right now you look at the squad and the manner of performances from the substitute from the backup players who will be playing in those two games at some point they will be playing a role uh and I'm really really worried about what what shape we're going to be in by the end of this week and and that's my hottest to take it's the backup players aren't good enough yes we were missing some first teamers but I think the way the world is right now with COVID, with injuries, I think we're going to, this is, this is, this is going to be a normal team for January. I really do. Because Smith Rose out, Xhaka's out, COVID, they're probably going to miss the game. Henri, uh, sorry, Liverpool Masters of the Dark Arts have screwed us by, by, by rearranging that fixture. So I'm worried that, uh, 
the 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 well the hottest of takes is that our second string are really really bad. I had PTSD out there looking at some of that. Kalasnek coming on was I mean I thought the guy was dead. <laughs> I didn't even realize he was still playing for us. And it's uh, it's scary and I don't know how we're going to get through the next week. Uh, Johnny, I was wondering if you could bring a bit of light into the room because I'm extremely sad after listening to Matt say what he said and I agreed with every single word. Johnny, do you have anything to add on to the pile of shit that we've just seen? Yeah, there's no light, mate. It's Darth Vader time. We're walking (laughs) in here, you know, (laughs) cue the music because, um, no, I mean, the, the the one bit of light, if you like, that I will offer is I personally am not like just off the back of this result, reading too heavily into how it affects our overall, you know, progress. This These games can happen where you have a game and it's just awful. And I mean, it's just like a player. It doesn't matter what, what player there is in the world. Everyone, including the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, obviously people like us and the people listening, it happens to more regularly than professionals, but... Sometimes you have games where you're like, oh, my God, I can't actually kick the ball straight. Like, I, I, like you know, five-yard passes going awry, just completely not on the same wavelength as your teammates. It happens. Sometimes you just have to take your stripes and you go away and say, right, we can't let that happen again. Um, so I'm not necessarily willing to completely doomsayer this situation because I do think that sometimes, especially a team that are still growing, can have you know shockers, absolute disgusting shockers, and that's what we've witnessed out there. But you know that doesn't cover up for the fact that if we're looking at this game in isolation, it was an absolute clusterfuck. There, so much was wrong with this. It you, you know that I, I don't really know if there was a positive. I mean, at the start of the game, when we see the um. Um, the the uh, starting lineup, and you see Patino starting. You're like, oh, brilliant, lovely game for him to cut his teeth in. The competition we're playing against is not that high. He's you know going to get a run around against Nottingham Forest, a team that he could possibly have you know go out on loan to or someone like you know that kind of level. And in the end, it's like, oh no, he's we've dropped him into a situation where we're getting ran absolutely ragged by a more uh, dedicated and committed team, and you know. I, I think that the biggest the biggest takeaways, similarly to what Matt said, if we were under the illusion that we had some deputies that were ready to roll, just jump off the bus and plug me in, boss, that ain't happening. Cedric, not up to it. If Tommy goes down, we're in big trouble because he's not good enough. He's not good enough to, you know, m- more than one, maybe two games. We're talking about Nuno Tavares. I mean, it it in a game full of bad performances... His was special. That was like, wow. You know, you'd get hooked at the marshes for that. What? And don't kick off when you come off, bruv. That is an absolute shocker. What are you doing? And, you know, when he did, at the end of the day, I, I really back Arteta taking him off because at least that was an attempt to say, we won't accept that level of performance. But ultimately, you know, that's the magic of the FA Cup. We're out. Nottingham Forest deserved it. It can't. We can't blame the ref or you know feeling cheated. We fully deserve to be out, and we do have more important, you know, um, uh, games to play. We're in more important competitions. The league, really, we've got to break top four this year, and it places even more of an imperative on achieving that as a goal because we won't have any, 
you know, tricky sideshow like winning an FA Cup or, or whatnot. We do have to deliver in the league. I still think that we can, but, you know, the sooner we can get away from this performance, like just sweep it away and say, look, wipe our hands of it. We're not going to do that again. Because if we see anything like that again, you know, in short order, it's, well, it's it's absolutely unacceptable and may start to damage all of the progress that we have been seeing lately. I don't think we can get into it's going to damage Arteta for the progress. It's one game, like it's a FA Cup game. And, we, you know, we've had our own little COVID outbreak. Granit Xhaka uh, in that midfield changes things. Tommy Asu in that in that defence changes things. Today. But I think the, the takeaway that I have is the same as you. This, this, is a, this is a squad of players that is built to not have uh, European concerns. It's, uh, and I actually think that to, to build on the points that you both made there, Sambi Lukonga uh, is a, is a really good player. You know, we, we we saw him we saw him earlier in the season, deputised him for uh, Jacker, and he was great. But then Jacker comes back into the side, and things get really good. Um, you know, we play really well, and we have a brilliant December. But there's no there's no outlet for minutes, and if you don't have minutes as a player, you come in against Nottingham Forest, and they play a they play a, a, a deep block against you. It's really difficult to, to find your rhythm. And we have other players in the squad who just shouldn't really be there. And listen, I love I love Rob Holding. I love that he's trying to develop his game. But when you are a Premier League footballer and the championship side have said, just let Rob Holding have the ball, uh, you have to be aware of your um, fallibilities, as it were. Um, and Rob Holding was not aware. Rob Holding tried to play like Ben White. And uh, and it cost us. It cost us all games. So I think we're um, I think we're we're very lacking um, in squad options at the moment. Um, I'm gutted that we're out of the FA Cup because it's nice to have two pathways to Europe, and now we have one. Um, but I, I do think the the bigger picture is you know what we've been saying all season. What Colin Lewin said to us: uh, don't treat the the lows uh, with 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 too much anger and angst and don't, don't treat the highs uh, with too much joy. Like you finally made it. And you know, we are going the young player option. We put Charlie Patino in midfield today and he was totally anonymous and that's fine. That's just part of, uh, that's part of the development plan. It was the same with Flo Balogun um, against Brentford earlier on in the season. So, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have days like this. The, the key to it is um, this is two games now. This is, uh, you know, losing against the best team in the world and losing to Forest. And there were a lot of first team players in there today. So now it's like the momentum's in trouble. The momentum is in trouble. And Liverpool are not a team that gives you anything. Everybody needs to be on top of their game. Granit Xhaka failed his COVID test before the previous Liverpool game. So he'll be back in contention. But how does it, this squad has, this squad of players has an experience moments like this. So it's a concern because things can go off the rails and, uh, you know, you can be sitting in seventh position pretty quick in a league this packed. So I do want to move in away from uh, the hottest of takes. Um, I want to talk about uh, the Nuno Tavares um, issue because he was it, it was a humiliation and Arteta is not the only manager in the Premier League that does this. Thomas Tuchel did it with uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, when he first joined, uh, Jose Mourinho would always pull players off if they weren't hitting the mark. Um, the numbers 
Uh, 65% park completion rate for Tavares in 34 minutes. I think he gave possession away nine times, which has to be some sort of record. He looked like he turned up to play amateurs on the marshes, uh, which was extremely complacent. He was taken off. I'm going to go in with the first point on this. My concern here is this is a it's a big table-thumping moment for Arteta. You know, standards, standards, get him off. But if there is, uh, if there is any backup in our team that needs to feel good about life um, more than Tavares. I don't know who it is because Tavares is the most likely to have to come in for a 15 stint of games. And I, I do worry the humiliating him against a championship side versus trying to pull him to one side after the game could be consequential. And the, the, the other thing that grates me a little bit, Cedric Suarez is absolutely shocking and he's 29 years old and he stayed on the pitch. So um, I know you two have both got big opinions on this. Um, Johnny, you look you look the most angry about uh, Tavares. Uh, you, you addressed him directly through the podcast. So I'm going to go and go to you first. Like, do you, do you think Arteta got this right? What's, um, what do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> I, I back Arteta in this situation. At the end of the day... When someone wants to turn up and mail it in like that, like, and to be honest, that might not be the right description because it's not even like I think he wasn't trying. He had a shocker. It was ugly. I tweeted out 10 minutes into the game, has Samuel Beckett from Quantum Leap jumped into Nuno Tavares and is swinging his legs around randomly because Al's having problems with Ziggy on the set? It looked like he had been possessed. Certainly not up to professional football standards. I could do that. Everyone on this podcast can do what Nuno Tavares did. Five days five days a week. Or, you know, easily. Because it was a really, really low standard of football. And when you do that, you can't have any complaints. What do, do you know one thing I get fed up with? It's when footballers... Like, and I'm all for footballers being a bit upset when they get taken off and stuff, you know. And, and sometimes it can be something that's not their fault. Like, we, we go down to 10 men and then, you know, you're the person they've had to take off to bolster the defence or something. That can be a frustrating. But when you're putting together that cacophony of excrement on the field, you have no complaints. Get off the field now. Get off. Run off. Run off and apologise to him. Write a letter at the end. It was dog shit. We don't accept that. Well done to Arteta. Because understand, right, there are some people, regardless of what happens on the on the field, what happens in terms of our success, they have it out for Arteta now. They just don't think that he can get it right. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm going to complete. I, I'm, back, I, I'm with Arteta. I see that. I, I'm supporting what I'm seeing right now. I'm excited by it. But... You know, I understand there are some people who have legitimate concerns about him. But when you see a performance like this, you can't blame that on the manager. Like, in terms of, I'm not talking about the whole team here. I'm talking about Nuno Tavares specifically. He got given an opportunity to play. That's not the manager playing you out of position. That's not the manager asking you to do things. It was absolutely derisory. And you've got every, you know... you can have no complaints when you get hooked after 30 minutes because there are standards to maintain, standards to keep when you're playing for Arsenal Football Club and you do not put in a performance like that because any of the fans could do something like that. You're getting paid thousands a week for it, mate. No chance are we accepting it. So 
you know, the fact he kicked off, he should be getting fined as well. And, you know, be hard and fast on this. If you perform like that, you're not making it to the 90. You're not making it to half time. Uh, um, Matt, you work in a, in an industry that is uh, the, the best work comes from confidence. Um, uh, if you break someone, you might never get that confidence back when you need it. Um, from a from a managerial perspective, what what do you think this substitution says about um, Arteta and where he's trying to go? And do you think that we might that he might regret it in a, in a few months' time? I thought it was an absolutely spot on decision, and um, and what I'm hoping because there's, there's I think there's, there tends to be uh, people need two different types of treatment. It's like the carrot and the stick, and sometimes it's the same player or the same person needs both. If you think about David Beckham and Sir Alex Ferguson, there'd be times when after the World Cup in 98, it was it was the shoulder, the arm around the shoulder and the father and son relationship. But there are other moments where it was kicking the boot in his face and it was the stick. And my you can't always be nice. Sometimes you have to give someone a kick when you're trying to get them to do something. And my hope is that he recognises that the issue was not a confidence issue, it was a complacency issue. And when it's a complacency issue, you can't reward that and you have to make it clear and he's still young enough to change and hopefully never do that again. And I liked his reaction when he came off because he was frustrated and hurt and embarrassed. And my hope is that he doesn't ever want to feel that way again because it was, was humiliating. The irony is he's probably relieved because everyone else ended up further soiling their reputation more than him but but that's that's sort of uh that's sort of my take on it i thought uh i thought i thought it was the right call um uh and you know i think some of it as well was a bit i don't want to say that Arteta is that machiavellian but some of his behaviors was a little was almost a little bit of uh, a message to the hierarchy of look what i'm working with right now 100%. Especially as we go into a really crucial moment where, you know, two key signings get us fourth, zero see us off the pace and out the League Cup in the next two weeks. Um, so everything, as always with Arsenal, is all on a knife edge. Absolutely. No manager in world football brings Kalasanak on in the 89th oh. minute unless he's trying to say... I've got nothing. I've got nothing. But you know what? Like, I, I, I would 100% take that every day of the week over Arsene Wenger because Arsene Wenger would have Ainsley here. Arsene Wenger would never have dropped Aubameyang. And Arteta's trying to push for better. So we can't really argue that. I mean, whether he gets what he needs off the back of it is a different thing. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to go down the list of, sh- of players that really, you know, not let themselves down, just didn't hit the standard. Uh, this uh, is uh, Holdinho! Um, because uh, Rob Holding, I love him, man. I love his hairline. He's given hope to millions of men all over the world. And when it goes for me, I'm there. I'm there, Rob. I'm sending you a message. I'm clicking on your on your adverts. I'm I'm, I'm putting on, on on whatever you need to make my hair come back. Um, but he was a weak link today. Uh, that was a championship club. They uh, obviously were told before the game, if Rob Holding gets on the ball, let him do whatever he wants, because what he does will be absolutely terrible. And in the second half, it was really, really painful. Um, 
Uh, Matt, I'm I'm going to go to you because I, I know I know Johnny's I know what Johnny Johnny's got in his head. He's he's thinking about Saliba. I know he's thinking about <laughs> Saliba. I can see it. It's written across his face. Um, Matt, the performances like that completely vindicate uh, you know the idea that we needed better um, in defence. And can can we is 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 holding even good enough as a backup now, or do we have to be thinking to the future? Look, uh, I like Rob Holding. Uh, I think he's a decent player. Uh, we'll always have the Mertesacker final uh, when he came in and delivered. And I think really it's it's less about him and it's more about the players you put alongside him. I still think that Holding can be a decent player when in squad in, in, in games like this where he's got decent players around him. But when you throw him into a skeleton team like today, it's like the worst place for him. He needs a Tony Adams or a Sol Campbell next to him, and then he they, to, to help shepherd shepherd him through the game. But you put him with Suarez on the right and Patino and Lukonga ahead of him, and it, you know he, it, it it doesn't put him in his in his best position. So I wouldn't pick on him more than anyone else. I think he's a decent squad player. Um, I think he's I think I think he, he's he I'd, I'd much prefer him to uh, to Mari uh, and those players, but. But clearly, we need an upgrade, and you know he hasn't had a good week because whatever you say, I think his his the weak the weak header against City that 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 kept the pressure on at the end that led to their winner it wasn't a terrible wasn't a calamitous mistake, but it was still he was the defender that was unable to clear the danger on that. Then today, so um, it's not a good week for him. Um, I think ultimately we're going to need to replace him. Um, but hopefully he just doesn't just doesn't need to play too many games, and certainly not not too many games away from home. Johnny is a man um, who has one of the finest hairlines in the podcast industry. You probably don't look at Rob Holding's hair and care a lot. So when you look at Rob Holding today and you're ignoring that beautiful, majestic hairline, what do you see? Yeah, you know, um, it's easy to get distracted with the hairline. It is, um, you know, and, and carried away. But yeah, when I when I'm just talking and keeping my assessment to football related issues, um, it looked glaring. There was a, a a lack of quality, and I mean, the thing about Rob Holding is, as a, as a fan, you watch him and you go, "There's no question. There is absolutely no question. You cannot question his commitment." He is always committed. That's how he plays. You know, Matt talks about his highlight moment in his Arsenal career when he turned Diego Costa into a borrower who was living in his pocket throughout the whole game. And you thought, <laughs> sky's the limit with this gentleman. He can go to the... Is that Tony Adams reborn? It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, you're up against Nottingham Forest today. It's not the highest standard, Rob. I mean, come on. If you can't impose your will. Lewis Graben. Stop making him, you know, the, the headlines. He's grabbing headlines, and it's sad. That's your, your your responsibility. At the end of the day, I think when we talk about from a defensive point of view in terms of personnel, I thought the biggest, you know, kind of um, conspicuous by his absence in terms of this dreadful result was Gabriel. He is the leader of our back line. And I, and I like Ben White. I think Ben White's tied in the ball, but he's not a leader. Gabriel is a leader and you can see it and he's in his passion and he's got the passion that Rob Holding has, but far more ability and far more intensity. And I don't think that 
if Gabriel was playing, we get manhandled in some of those ways. I, I think Rob Holding is easy to get spooked because he doesn't move um, quickly. He's not agile. Ben White's always agile. He's, he's good on the ball. Rob Holding can get spooked easy because he, he doesn't want it in those tight areas. And I think that I don't, you know, I haven't... I, one of the biggest things that we keep coming back to, which I think is great, is how before we drop Leno for Ramsdale, we all used to say, oh, Leno's not the biggest issue at this club, you know. And then we've seen a galactic jump in quality based on, you know, Ramsdale's amazing performances. And we realised, actually, we were settling for way less than what we thought. I'll sit here and I'll tell you, Rob Holding's not the biggest issue. He's a fourth-choice centre-half, you know, and he shouldn't really get that much game time. And if he's in for a couple of games, he probably won't let you down. But, you know, when you brought his name up, Pete, we have another guy. We have another guy that I think will be starting next year. He He's quality. Who is this but, guy? Yeah, big Bill Saliba. <laughs> you know, at one point I thought, thought it was going to be Bill and Bob. You know, but I don't think Bob's delivering at his end of the bargain. It is. It will be Gabriel Saliba looking like absolute romance on the pitch, week in, week out. Cannot wait to see that. And don't get me wrong, I think Ben White's very nice in the meantime. So I would say, you know, in summation, look, I don't think that Rob Holding's the biggest issue we have at the club. But when we do have to go to him, you see that there, there is... We could do much better than Rob Holding. Much better. Um, there is better out there. Obviously, there's better that are signed currently to Arsenal. So if we can improve in the summer, I don't think it, we should be at all bashful about it. Because, But, you know, we're probably bringing someone in to be a fourth-choice centre-half with uh, William Saliba being, you know, challenging directly for a starting berth. I think the other thing is, is how other big clubs treat their centre-halves. Like, you look at, say, a Chelsea they rotate their four centre, They like Rudiger, Christensen, Chilova, uh, uh, what's his name, the, the uh, Silva. Like, you know, they all get game time and they all play because there's a lot of games to play. And that's like four, four centre-halves. Whereas we've got into a mindset over the years of thinking about what's our first choice centre-half pairing. And I think like a lot of rotation, like a lot of conversations around depth, you know our first eleven is is looking good, but you know you need your backup. You're only as you're only as strong as your weakest link. I think is what you, what you begin to realise pretty quickly. And at centre half, you know we're 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 paying for not having good backup. So I, I think that that is a, a beautiful segue into uh, the the next topic that I want to talk about because r- rotation issues um, are front and centre in this game for me. Um, Enketia either isn't getting enough games or he's just not at the level. I suspect after today, um, looking like, um, uh, you know, pure an- a- a- anonymity, I suspect that he's probably not at the level. Like, he he, uh, he zeroed his contract, his next contract, as much as uh, his transfer fee will be the next time around. Absolutely anonymous. Sambu Lukonga isn't getting games because it's difficult to get into a team that needs to hit top four. Um, our centre-backs, there's almost no rotation there. Pablo Marie looks like he's been absolutely banished. Cedric Suarez comes in. He's, he's you know, he's, he's hot garbage. And um, Nuno Tavares hasn't, you know, been getting a lot of games recently and he comes in and he's terrible. Like um, Pep Guardiola rotates, uh, Thomas Dekel rotates, Klopp rotates. Do we think that maybe one of the weaknesses in Arteta's armour this year is 
he knows he's always on the knife edge and he knows that there's a lot of risk in the players that he has that sit beneath the squad. But today for me, all, all I'm looking for is that everybody fights like they want to play in that Liverpool game. And that, you know, Rob Holden fought like he wanted to be in that Liverpool game, but didn't play like it. Cedric Suarez looks like he'd, you know, he, he should be going to Spain. Um, there were players in there today that didn't really fight for the shirt. Um, do you think Mikhail Arteta has the fan capital to rotate in games and risk points? Or do you think fans will be fine with him playing his best 11 if we're fighting for top four? Like, where's the balance? And um, what, what could Arteta be doing better here? Because obviously today shows he's fucking something up, right? I mean, from my perspective, I I think the only the, the biggest kind of issue with Arteta out of this situation was what you said, Pete. At the end of the day, he didn't tell all the players to have shockers, but you've got to get your team out there to at least match the energy. One thing that wasn't su- a surprise is you're going away to Nottingham Forest, third round of the FA Cup. You know they're going to be intense. That cannot surprise you or spook you you know it's not unexpected and that is legitimate criticism that has to fall at the manager's door and don't get me wrong there's a lot of criticism to go around but he has to take his portion on that front outside of that of course you know I I think Matt brought it up and it was a good point about the potentially Machiavellian approach to the game and, and you know drawing attention to the lack of options but there are players that are playing for this team that are just not good enough. They're not good. Eddie and Ketia, mate. Honestly, stop talking about him signing a new contract. He's not good enough. I don't want to see him here, honestly. Like, I, I, I'm trying to be nice because I, I like Eddie. He's through, he's through the academy and he's, he's not good enough for Arsenal. He's not. And we are interested, or there certainly should be, in signing players that are going to move the club forward. Eddie Nketiah, even if he's just a squad player, we've given him so many opportunities. I know we played poor today, but did you see that opportunity he had at the back post? This is Nottingham Forest, mate. Five yards. You've got to Five yards, that. my friend. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so, we can't hold your hand here, Eddie. You're not good enough. I'm not, I'm not trying to be nasty. It's just not good enough. And listen, Nottingham Forest, that is your level. You should be knocking it out with Lewis Graben. I th- you're taking up a squad number at Arsenal. There's no, there's no point in this, and we desperately need reinforcements. Before the Obama Yang thing blew up, we needed reinforcements up front, you know. And I know that filling in that position of, of star striker is the hardest thing to find. That you know, they're the uh, uh, fewest, you know, they're the most in demand and fewest about like quality strikers. But we have to go after that situation now. And you know, if we can pull the trigger. Early, there's a lot of talk about Vlajevic and can we get that... Uh, we'll talk about that later. Do not delve into that, oh, my friend. Of course, it's just skirting around the edges, you know, just dipping my toe in the water and whether we could get that done in January if we uh, were to, that would obviously change things. But I do think that the, you know, the the, the need for, you know, filling in, just getting bodies up in terms of, from an attacking point of view, strikers, you know, because even the ones that are away being Aubameyang and Pepe, two guys you can't rely on. So we're rolling out, bringing Lacazette. I mean, Lacazette's puffing out his chest going, oh, am I the breaking case of emergency, dude? Wicked, what a turnaround. You know, we're having to put Lacquer on to turn the game. He doesn't look like he's ready. So I think we are, you know, not just needing to replace it in terms of getting extra numbers. We need to 
improve on the quality that we currently have from an attacking point of view? Because some people, I think, have clearly showed that they're not up to the required standards. All right, um, Matt, I, um, I I grew up in Essex. Uh, I understand the the Essex mentality. Essex, you don't have to have an Essex mentality and live in Essex. It's just uh, but those aren't the facts. And there are a lot of people in this life that you meet and you're like, you would you would make it in Essex. I never wanted to be there. I escaped it as soon as I could. Um, I didn't want to do sunbeds. I didn't want to be a wide boy wearing Gucci loafers in the nightclub. And I, I I've avoided big time Essex people apart from Johnny. Johnny's not archetypal in the same way. Um, you know, he's he's artistic. Um, I've avoided <laughs> those Essex people for a long time. And then Ben White rolls up, and I've got I have a, 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 a he, he makes me feel something. You know, I've been in. I've been on holiday and, you know, been slapped down by people like Ben White with their money and their fake tan and their white teeth and their, 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 their frosted, their frosted tips. Ben White gets me. And, but I loved him to start with as a footballer, but I'm starting to see a bit of Essex in his play, a little bit of wide boy in the way that he moves around a little bit of ego. Um, Is, is Ben White, struggling a little bit at the moment and does he need to rein in the way that he plays because I thought it was a pretty bad performance we're all talking about Rob Holding because he was the bald guy that grew his hair back we're not talking about thick strong frosted tips Ben White is it because he's handsome and he reminds us of someone that is uh is achieving in his life like what's the what's the deal is is Ben White struggling but we don't we refuse to acknowledge it because he's got a beautiful tan I think everyone um I think we've been on a good run. Um, and so I don't think he's been struggling. I think he's been on that good run with the rest of the team and is putting good performances. And we've all been singing his praise along with anyone else. The problem is that whenever Arsenal go on a run under Arteta, it seems to just end every time we face either like a really good team or when um, we have expectations. And I think that's just something that has happened and I was talking to a friend and being really bullish about Arsenal yesterday and they're like yeah yeah, yeah but you that's just what happens and then you and then as soon as everyone at Arsenal gets too big for their boots they come crashing down to earth and it's it's a bit of it it's a bit of a mentality thing that seems to affect everyone so I don't think it's a Ben White issue I think it's a, a Arsenal football club issue you know and I think Arteta knows it I think that's why he tries to temper it a lot by going we haven't achieved anything. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep working hard. We've got to do this. But there is a tendency every time we go on a little run, is it, we lurch from, you know, wonderful run of games to precipice of crisis, you know, five or six times a season. On Ben White, I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's a, we're talking about carrot and stick. I think he's a, he's someone you need to keep the stick out and keep him focused, keep him on it make it clear what you want him to do. You know, the problem with being bought as a libero uh, passing defender is that sometimes you think that you always have to go out and be passing and doing, you know, doing what you do. But the reality is you still have to pick your moments. I still think when our one chance the second half was created by Ben White with that lovely ball out of Saka. So, yeah, I didn't think he was he was a shocker. He had a shock. I think everyone had a shock. I mean, what did a good performance look like today? I mean, I thought 
Saka, I guess, was our best performer and was pretty average. Um, I thought Lukonga was was far worse than Ben White, to be honest. He was a real worry to me. Um, and I know we, we like him and he's young and, well, they're the same age, really, Ben White and Sambi Lukonga, aren't they? But maybe a couple of years difference. But didn't have a problem with Ben White. They all need to just move on and, and get on with it. Um, I think he's better when he's got robust defenders around him, like Tomiyasu and uh, Gabriel. Who wouldn't be? He had he was he was in a shit sandwich between Suarez and Holding. Like, what, what do you want from the guy? You know, it's um, uh, yeah, it it is what it is. Time to Johnny, move on, Johnny, you've been down the Red Lion in Essex and seen Ben White walk in in a in a white suit and a black shirt. You know the sort. You know the sort. Do you think Ben White is uh, is bringing a bit of that Essex mentality to the centre-back position at the moment? Or, like Matt, do you think he was just living in a shit sandwich trying to make the best of it? Yeah, absolutely. We all know Ben White doesn't wear socks with loafers. There's no, no question way. about that. No he, would, he would, you know, he, he's lived his life by that code. So, <laughs> fair play to the man. Um, he, had, he, he did have a shocker. Um, but I think Matt said... He was of a bunch of people who just had, you know, liquid poo as their, you know, overall performance <laughs> output today. It was miserable. And it's, you know, I didn't think he was much worse than some of the other people um, who were also having shockers around him. But this is the issue. And I, and I, and I don't want to kind of labour on this point too much. But for those of us who said, why has Saliba gone out on loan? Because... I am, I am like you know, my views on Arteta have, have somewhat changed. I'm, I've been encouraged by what I've seen, and I do think that we can achieve our goals. But it doesn't mean that every decision he's ever made, I think, was right. You know, our transfer business in the summer was great, but the Saliba nonsense remains nonsense, and he needs to rectify that. But for those of us that love Saliba, it was like, well, hold up. Um, you know, Ben White's going to get game time. He hasn't had loads of experience in the Premier League, and and for me. Saliba looks like he could do everything Ben White can anyway. But I do think that Ben White, I personally think Ben White's a decent player, but I don't think that he has the ability to lead on his own. He's a number two, he's a B player in a defence. He needs the leader. Um, and Gabriel, who I've been most impressed with as a, a, a defend, like a central defender, he's an A player. He is the leader. This is, one of, this is why I brought him up when I talked about, you know, potential successes at captain. Um, and, and I think Gabriel has to have a, a serious shout in there, you know, probably more so than Ramsdale just because of the position he plays. And I think he is the spiritual leader, if you like, of, of our defence. Um, and Tommy Asu as well, somewhat, he, he, you know, he's brilliant. Um, but it, when you take those two players out, you realise how, like, if you took out Kieran Tierney and Ben White and we had Tommy Asu and Gabriel, I don't think we would have seen that performance in our back line. Those are our two most important defenders, I think. They, they're the most robust. That's where that's where the aggression, the intensity comes from. Um, and, you know, that's fine. Like, especially a club at our level, it, trying to get back into the big time, you can't have 11 world-class players at this stage. We're not, we're not that club yet. We're trying to grow quality players. And I don't, you know, Ben White's allowed to have a bit of a shocker every now and then. If we are to read a little more deeply, you might say there's been a couple where he's been on the fringe of possibly not having great games. But I think he's been all right overall. And I love what he brings to the team with his mobility and ability to carry the ball out of defence. He 
he helps us. You know, he, he injects dynamism in a team that can get quite static quickly, particularly at times when you see Granite Xhaka playing in front of him. So I do like that element of Ben White, but there's, there's nowhere to hide on this game. It was really poor. I do think that, if I'm honest, we could potentially improve upon Ben White in the shape of Saliba next year. Like, it should not be a gimme that he's starting next year, put it that way. It should be Saliba coming back. You and Ben are playing for that place next to um, Gabriel and let him duke it out and see who wins. And surely only Arsenal will benefit with two very good prospects, you know, vying for potentially one place if we don't end up playing some kind of five at the back, three at the back hybrid next year. So, you know, um, there's definitely some improvement to be had with Ben White. But, you know, let's not over oversell it in terms of our division of him. Ben, I'm watching. I'm watching. <laughs> so, uh, listen, it's been a it's it's been an absolutely terrible day. But you know what always perks us up? You know what the Valium to Arsenal depression is? It's transfer talk, baby. It's transfer talk, and there's a lot of transfer talk in the area. Uh, Johnny, you've had your ups and downs with Mikel Arteta, but one thing that you must absolutely love is the man always says. We're going to go big. We're going to buy some players. Uh, and Arteta came out and he's put the pressure on the club uh, by literally saying he thinks we're going to buy some players. He's come out and put pressure on the club by fielding a very, very smelly starting eleven against Nottingham Forest. And now we're at the cup. So balls in your court, Edu. So I'm going to uh, talk about some transfer stuff that I think is interesting. So there are there are three areas of interest. Firstly, um, Arteta is engineered a situation where we have to buy. He said we need a midfielder, but he said no to Jack Wilshire, who he's very impressed with and he's loving uh, you know, he's loving the experience he's having with him. He's jettisoned Ainsley um to uh, to to the Darth Vader of football management in Roma and he's he's binned Aubameyang who's on 350,000 a week and said that you know basically that he needs a striker. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about the hottest transfer rumor in world football at the moment. And I know that we're not scouts, but I tell you what, we love talking about it. Dusan Vlahovic, the destroyer. Um, we've all seen the YouTube videos. Uh, he is uh, he is basically uh, uh, the, the closest thing to Adebayor the, the, that we haven't had since Adebayor left. Um, he's powerful. He can link up play. He scores goals. He scores penalties. I am actually going to go to Matt on this first one because, Matt, you had a very interesting point about penalties because a few people said... Um, that Vlahovic scores um, scores too many penalties. What do you think of Dusan, the destroyer? You've got a little bit of music going on in the background. Um, well, let me just say this. Um, I would absolutely love it if we signed this guy. I think he looks the absolute real deal. He's got more goals than any of the other. He's got more goals at 21 than Messi had. Uh, he's scored more goals than Haaland this year. He's purpose-built for what we're trying to do. He's big. He's got a wand of a left foot. There's still a lot of room to improve. Um, I've watched every compilation, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but this is this is this is this is my you take. You are on. an expert, and not only that, there is something about signing a player in January that just lifts a whole football club, and you cannot underestimate that. And my God, I think we're going to need a lift because you know we've got some, we've got a few. Temp, they're all temporary problems, but they're problems. And I think he would be the antidote to all of that. And I think we just desperately need to get him in. It would be just such a statement of intent. There's there's something holding it back clearly, and he, I think he wants to see what's 
he wants to wait till the summer in an ideal world to see if there's some more suitors, some more offers, if things shake up a bit differently, because, you know, everything changes in football very, very quickly. At the same time, I think he's on something like 16 or 26,000 a week. So if we're offering him 160, as is reported, you know, that's a very good incentive to make the jump. And I think that also age 21, if he's got ambitions of playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona, or dare I say it, Manchester City, we would be the perfect club to go and play for for three years. He could still be 24 making a big move. So he's at Fiorentina. I think there's no smoke without fire. It would be incredible to to bring him in. I just I just hope we can we can put it off. But but something is happening. And I was talking to Pete earlier and saying I think the Amazon documentary really helps us because. Wow, there's nothing more fun in an Amazon documentary than a big January signing. And look, when everyone's watching and people, we have a great second half of the season, we can offset that with some of the interest. A couple of people have said, oh, but a lot of the goals are penalties. Yeah. And I think um, football at the highest level is about small details. And we've missed four penalties this year out of five or something, four out of six. So bring someone in, scores four, four of those penalties that we missed. We've got three more points. Three more points at the end of the season. The difference between fifth and fourth. Difference between Europa and Champions League. So having someone in who can, who can do that. And my God, we look toothless up front. I mean, Eddie looks... Eddie does more running than, than, than Aubameyang. He basically offers as much off the ball as Aubameyang does, which is terrifying. Can't finish. But we're desperate. So, you know, I'd love to bring this guy in. Johnny, Adebayor, hugely underrated at the time, but would arguably be perfect for this system, um, is signing a 21-year-old um, from Eastern Europe uh, that is six foot three, six foot four, and has broken Messi's record for goals by a 21-year-old. Do you, do you feel like it's a good move? Are there other strikers that you're thinking about? When you see the Vlahovic compilations, Johnny, what do you think? Um, so this is really interesting, to be fair. I, I what There's things I really love about this. And um, one, I love the profile of the player. Who wouldn't love the profile of the player? At the end of the day, I didn't know that he'd broken Messi's uh, record by per eight, you know, his age. Um, that's, that's very impressive. I've obviously seen the goal the goal statistics which are you know i could i could get used to them they'd be nice wouldn't they and i think it's a really interesting point as well uh, just to speak to matt's point about the penalties we don't have a player at the club who takes penalties like you know they're going to score <laughs> like we've got loads of players who might miss including Aubameyang, who's been out of form like you know like people like kane and salah and ronaldo you're like yeah but they just score their penalties because they might score at any point and they might not, but they, they always look dangerous if you give them a chance. we got players who could miss penalties riddled throughout our team. I want someone who you go, you know what? He's got a penalty. Whack. Get out of the way. Don't, don't give me a chance. Whack. Every time. That's what I'm... I want 90% clips minimum. You know what I mean? And we, we, we've got a lot of people who are hit and miss at best. What I like about this so much is the way that we're moving as a club. Finally, we've started to realise our place in world football um, in terms of we've got... Overall, we've got a strategy, but we've also got a spirit and a belief behind what we're doing, and that's what's so exciting. In terms of 
we've obviously, you know, we're trending young in terms of the players that we're trying to find. And that's great. And that's what everyone can get around in terms of we're trying to grow these players into absolute world-class, you know, um, a world-class outfit overall in a way that we wouldn't be able to sign these players because we'd get out competed by, you know, more financially robust clubs than what we are. But what we need to do, and we've said it for ages, is to move early on these guys, to be more agile, like a Dortmund and, you know, the, or, or some of the Red Bull teams and whatnot, moving quickly, getting these players before they've gone absolutely enormous and you can't get anywhere near them. Get them, be that link club, you know, if you have to be. But Arsenal's opportunity is always to sell themselves as that link club and then go, listen, Grow with us and we start delivering you success. Why would you need to leave? We are a massive club, but we're underperforming. And, you know, we sell ourselves right now as come to us, you know, do well. We, we're going to be challenging for the Champions League. We need to get in that Champions League. And if we don't deliver on becoming a super club while you're here, then move on to a bigger club. But we'd get to use him as an agent to drive us forward into, you know, a higher higher stratosphere, which is what we would want to do. It's the same reason when Liverpool signed Salah, who was, you know, dotting around and put together a good season in Serie A, but no one was expecting what they, what he, you know, he did when he came over. He took them into another sphere because they started going, we can win the Champions League and things like that. And Vlajevic looks like the profile of player that in the next five years could be winning Champions Leagues. Let's be realistic about it. He's obviously favouring Juventus at the moment, but that's because he's been in Italy since he, you know, for a few years. And when you're in a small pond, you want to be the best in that small pond. And obviously Juventus are that, and they're a bigger club than what we are right now uh, in terms of what they can um, offer. But we can, if we act decisively, Juventus have got loads of red tape around them. We can come in, offer big money and a great opportunity and great players to play around. We provide a solution. And, you know, if we did have a, sp- a, a, a card up our sleeve, it is the Torreira situation. I think Fiorentina would be interested in, you know, cash he's and been, a player. He's been good. He's been yeah. Torreira's been good. Played 11 games. So, you know, he's not like he's been unused. We could, you know, we put together a financial package and a player. We do something that works for both of us, but... We might need to pay big money to force their hand to get him to come in January. If if it meant that we spend an extra fifteen million on a player that if he comes to us and delivers, he's going to be a hundred million pound striker, and we're paying him seven. You know, the difference between offering fifty five and seventy and Torreira. Well, let's just get it done because he could absolutely be the difference between us getting Champions League and not, and that would be so seismic for us. To have Vlajevic and Champions League football next year, we'd be in a we'd be in a different conversation. So, I'd love to see the club move, get their elbows out, and start moving like a big club, knocking people around. Like you know what, Fiorentina, give over the goods, and you know onwards and upwards. You know what I love about uh, this Vlajevic rumor. You know, under late late stage Wenger, under Unai Emery, you can't sign a Vlajevic. Because uh, uh, Vlajevic has an agent that is probably looking at how their how their player can move through and develop at each stage. Arsenal could uh, Arsenal should be the sort of club that Haaland can be a, a stepping stone to a Madrid or a PSG. But since since uh, Smith Rowe came into the side on the twenty sixth of December, twenty twenty, Arsenal have moved hard on a strategy 
that gives elite players under the age of 24 a platform to grow. And if a player, if a player is getting 20, 30, 40 games a season, sub 23, there's a high chance that they're going to be good. And now we're in a situation where there are proof points. Like I went, you know, when I started the club, it was like, is he a good coach? Um, who knows? But Saka comes through, Smith Rowe comes through. So last summer, Arteta can say uh, Saka's playing in uh, European finals and he's he's starting ahead of hundred million pound players. Um, Smith Rowe was a reserve, and now he's getting you know fifty million pound bids by Aston Villa. And maybe it's not fifty million pound, but you know it just goes to show you know th- these are these are young players and they're coming through. Uh, now we're pushing into the territory where we can say. We're in top four. We're in top four after losing the first three games of the season. Come and join this party because it's the best coaching in the world. You've got 60,000 fans singing your name. We're going to pay you well. You're going to live well. And your profile is going to go through the roof. And that's what's exciting about Vlahovic because we, we just would not have had a chance of Vlahovic a few seasons ago. Now we're in a situation where I know his agent is very tied in with the technical director. At Spurs, don't tell me Spurs is a better project than Arsenal. Everybody knows that Conte is going to burn that place to the ground. If he gets into the the Champions League, he burns it to the ground. If he fails, he burns it to the ground. It's not a good long-term project. It needs money. Uh, United, if United sign Vlahovic, will take Greenwood. Manchester City, they're going to be in for Haaland or Harry Kane. Uh, Liverpool, they don't need anyone because they just need to sign Salah down to a deal. And nobody else in Europe has got any money. So... Arsenal start to become the best option. And I just can't imagine that the player is not looking at it saying, all right, well, Juventus can't afford me because Juventus are, you know, having to give Aaron Ramsey a deal to to leave the club at the moment. And they're not doing very, I don't think they're doing particularly well in Serie A at the moment. I don't think Allegri is the manager that you want to play under. Um, there's a reason that, you know, he got sacked by Juve and didn't get another job because he's an egotist. And, uh, you know, he, he's like, he's not the guy you want to play for. Arteta is starting to build a little bit of capital. So it will be, it'd be very interesting to see where that goes. Uh, because do, do, do it, you know what this situation is like, Pete, right? You know, you know, when you used to go out, you know, in your pulling days and if, if you're there on a dance floor and you see a really attractive lady or guy, whatever you go for, and you're thinking, right, I need to make my move now because at the end of the day, I'm going to put a very good offer on the table. Do you want to come back to mine now? Okay. Because if we wait till the lights come up, they might, she might have a look around and go, actually, I could do a bit better than you. Okay. Get the offer in early and say, listen, you've got this. It's there for you. Will you take me up on the offer? Because no one else has offered you that right now. And I don't think that we can wait for the lights to come up because there might be a few Ben Whites creeping around at the end of the night again. You're like, darling, no socks back to mine, you know, and then they blow you out the water. So we have to get in early. Again, this is what I mean about our agility. Just we can take these chances. We can front up some money early days because what we can't rely on is it going to the summer, City, suddenly, you know, it all falls through with Haaland. Haaland goes to PSG, Mbappe goes to Madrid, and then City like, oh, actually, we're going to need to sign a class striker. We'll have him. That's when we end up in trouble. We can't wait for every, you know what I mean? We don't want the lights on. Let's just do our business. That, that analogy, 
that analogy is like an early Arctic Monkeys song narrative. Beautiful, <laughs> absolutely beautiful. And um, so, th- so we're, we're obviously all very excited about Vlahovic. Then we move into the, the midfield situation, which is also very difficult. Uh, Arsenal, and there are obvious options which Arsene Wenger would have taken. Jack Wilshere is fit. Everybody's impressed by him. Arsene Wenger would have taken that because we saw it with Sol Campbell and Jens Lehmann. He's refused. He's binned off Ainsley. Arsenal fans love. If, I, if you know, if Arteta said we're going to put a bit of responsibility Ainsley's way, we all would have been happy. He's he's moved him away, so he's out of sight, out of mind. So now we're in a situation where we don't have a lot of midfielders, and I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get your take on what what do Arsenal need? Do they need somebody for the first team right now, or are they signing a player for September? And if they are signing a player for September, is it a young version of Jacka, or is it a cog in the machine that we don't have yet? Matt, um, what do you what do you think about the midfield situation right now, and and how do you think what what do you, what's Arteta going to do? Well, we're super light, and it's difficult to think that Arteta is not doing everything in his power to tell a story about us being. He wants us to look as light as possible. Shipping off Maitland-Niles, not taking Jack Wilshire, he is placing his bets on the idea of bringing in quality reinforcements in the next three weeks. Like that is, he's gone all in on that, and it's only uh, on the thirtieth of January that Jack Wilshire becomes an option, or even when he's brought them in, it's an extra body because it'll be mission accomplished in terms of what he's trying to do. So he definitely thinks he can bring some people in. Um, I think you don't realise what you need until they're suddenly playing in the team. We've seen that with the likes of Tommy Yasu and all these players, Aaron Ramsdale, another example. But, you know, I think you look at the age profile of the team and I think we, we des- I think we need some, someone who's maybe 24, 25 rather than 2021 20, who can come in and make an immediate impact because we've got such a crucial moment ahead of us in the next few months. Fourth is on. It's on, but we need to seize the moment. It's us versus Spurs in a shootout. It's it's all taking shape and we can't let them win because if we win with our project, then we're we're set. Next year we're 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 outsiders and then the following year we're we're challenging for the for the Premier League. So we need those players in. We need to bed them in. Um I think we're looking at a long-term replacement for Xhaka. Um, I think we could be looking uh, for a. We could we could be looking at another left winger. Um, we desperately need, but 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 it's in that deeper lying role. I think we desperately need someone who can be the best midfielder that we've got ultimately, because our midfield's not that great. In <laughs> fact, it's it's it's, it's pretty average. So. Um, I think we're looking for that uh, that that Xhaka replacement, ultimately. Johnny, you love players like Basuma. Do you think that we need to replace Xhaka pound for pound? Or do you think Mikel Arteta might look for something different? You're a big NFL fan. And NFL teams build pieces that can take on different things. What do you think the midfield needs desperately right now? Um <clears throat> Well, there's there's obviously you can look at it in a short term situation and on a medium to long term. In the short term, we need legs and we need quality legs. You know, um, I I don't say it lightly, and I know it. You know, I think you tweeted about it this week, Pete. 
Aaron Ramsey, right? I don't, look, I, 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 look, I know we're trying to get away from having these, like, you know, these kind of nepo- nepotistic kind of, you know, situations where it's old players just, oh, welcome back to the club. You get another contract, son, and stuff. I get that. But I do think Aaron Ramsey could add something. I'm, I do think that he wouldn't be an obstruction to someone like Lukonga, certainly over a longer period, because Lukonga's 21. So it's not like Lukonga would be all out of joint thinking, oh, right, I'm not going to be playing for the next five years, because it, it's a short-term situation. And I think you can learn from a player like Aaron Ramsey. Um, but I, 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 I mean, obviously, we need far better than that. A name that I keep hearing, which I think is a very, very, you know, very attractive proposition is Renato Sanchez. And he's had a very interesting story because he was one of those players, much like Martin Erdegaard, who was completely hyped up as this, you know, prestigious prestigious young talent um, who was going to take over the world, got his move to a big club. It just didn't work out there. It didn't mean that they were shocking, but just didn't look like they were ready for it. And sometimes that can mean that that player disappears, never to be heard of again. There are plenty, you know, the, the football annals are, are, are littered with players like that who, who never made it back to the top. But then there are some, like an Erdegaard, for instance, who maybe go to the next club and reassert themselves as a really, really top-level talent. I think that's what Sanchez has done. I think he's got bite. He's got good energy. I think he's got a great technician. And I think that he's played at, you know, even if he didn't do, he didn't pull up trees at Bayern, he's shown that he can play at the top level. And obviously he's playing in and around the, the um, his national team. So it's not like he he's not played at the highest level. I think he could come in and certainly in the summer. Um, but this is what I mean when I say about short, people might wonder why I brought up Aaron Ramsey. We're not getting Renato Sanchez in January. It's not going to happen. So we're going to have to... I think we need bodies to get to the end of the league because the way the COVID situation is, we're so Fred Bear. I understand what Matt says, like our midfield, even at its best, is not great. But obviously, we've just seen Thomas Party put in a worldy performance, which, you know, maybe we're being foolish to trust him again. But we're thinking if you're doing that more often, he's a definite, you know, starter for the next foreseeable future. And would a party Sanchez... Um, central midfield looked quite scary to a lot of the teams that we would be heading towards. I think it would. Um, but again, I don't think that we'll necessarily be able to replace Xhaka adequately in January. The Vlajevic situation is different because I think he might be available in January. And I think that our best chance of actually signing him is if we move really big and nasty early just in a way, it's like, oh, right, wow, these guys come out of nowhere and just took what they wanted. That's what we have to do. Because if we wait, again, I'm not going to strangle my analogy from earlier till the lights are on. I think we could run into trouble. So we might have to plug some holes to get us to the end of the season so we can achieve our short-term goals, top four. But we won't necessarily get to fill all of these positions with long-term you know, appointees, we, we we might have to do a mix and match between long-term projects and uh, short-term ones. I've got a little thought, which is something um, something that came out of today, because I think I, you're absolutely right. It's going to be about plugging holes. I think that's, that's the way it's going to be. And it did feel a little bit like um, there's going to be, a lot of it is the luck of the draw because of COVID. And it's 
when does your COVID crisis hit and what are the fixtures around it and 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 is it going to work favorably or unfavorably definitely work favorably for us pre-Christmas we played Leeds when they were depleted and then we got the Wolves break so we had more time to prepare for Manchester City now post-Christmas it feels like the timing might be going against us a bit you know it feels like we're going into a really crucial few days and suddenly we've got a couple of big COVID cases with two of our midfielders going into the North London derby. And the question I've got is whether whether we, whether we there is an opportunity for Arsenal to pull off a bit of dark arts and potentially try and get this weekend's game against Tottenham postponed. There's still time. We've got two COVID cases, which is one more than Liverpool had when they postponed the Carabao Cup last week. And I'm just wondering whether there's a chance of us managing to postpone it till after our players get back from the AFCON when, when, when Spurs have got a big fixture backlog later on in the season and whether we can use the rules to our advantage. Yeah, but Sun's Matt, out, hey. Sun is, Sun is out. They've only got two good players, Sun, <laughs> Sun and Harry Kane. Wouldn't you just rather just get it done? Jack will be back. Jack will 100% be back. We uh, are looking, we're pretending. I want Smith Rowe as well. Well, of course, we need all, well. we're, we're going to need to be on top, top form when we go into that game. But I know, you know, it, it's um, recency bias with regards to the fact that we've just been knocked out to a championship team. So that's the freshest in our mind of the level of performance we'll be turning out. But really, if that ends up being, you know, an aberration more than, you know, a, a downward trend in form, then we're going to give Spurs all they can handle. Son really is as dangerous. Well, he's probably Spurs' most dangerous player these days. Kane still hasn't completely got back to form. So they're at 50%. You know, all of them other guys, I'm not scared of any anyone at Tottenham. And when, we, when we've got our proper players out, we can give them all they can handle. And we're going to need to win that game, I think. The my, way things... Can... My concern is not... Is if we were just playing Spurs on the weekend, that'd be fine. We're playing Liverpool at Anfield. And so when was the last time we got any, like a point? When was the last time we went out of Anfield with, with anything? And if you do, you know, you're going to have really pushed yourself to the limit to get it. So my my concern is either we're going into that game with two defeats in the week already, a morale having taken a beating and with a, an exhausted team, or we've managed to miraculously get a draw out of Liverpool. And now we've got to like regroup very quickly. You're getting back to London late, late, late on Wednesday night or whatever it is, or Thursday. And, uh, you know, that's that's my biggest concern for this Spurs game. So let's, uh, let, Johnny, you said that there was a request that we talk about Liverpool getting the game cancelled. Liverpool's training ground opened yesterday. Uh, Liverpool saying that they've had some false positives in the system. Did, did, did Arsenal... Um, did Arsenal suffer because we've got a CEO that's very um, green and maybe not quite at the level that we need? Have Arsenal been punished by not playing the dark arts? I know that, Matt, you literally tweeted dark arts when Liverpool won't open their training ground. They're playing all their games this weekend or like this week. Did we get mugged? Have we been completely mugged here? Like, what do we, we think we of got, this whole We Liverpool got situation? absolutely mugged off. We got, we got absolutely... It is. It was terrible. We should have played at home, kept the momentum up from Man City, played at home, had the fans behind us, and then we should have played played the Forest game. And then it doesn't really, like if we played well against Liverpool, which I think we would have at home, 
and then we and then we lost today. You know, everyone just puts it down to fatigue and all those sorts of things, and 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 it doesn't really matter that much. But and we get the game out of the way, and Spurs were playing that week as well. But uh, I personally think we should have played the game. We should have forced their hand. We should have seen they were weak, and we should have pinned them down on it and say we can't. It has to happen. This is the only way. Played hardball. And and there's no yeah and I think there's a great point from Chris Hudson on the comments never would have happened with Dean when you smell the opportunity to play Liverpool when they're they're weakest you you make it happen and then you punish them you punish them or you make them forfeit absolute disgrace with these false positives it's lying it's it, it's been proven to be lying what are they doing if you're telling me false positives that you're basically saying oh I took a lateral flow test. And it's it came back red, positive. You didn't take. You didn't take. You didn't. You didn't take. You didn't take two tests or three tests and get three false positives in a row. You're basically. It's doctored. Of course it is. There's, it's not. A, it doesn't sound like a PCR. It sounds like a lateral <laughs> flow where they've just called it in and their words been taken. And I think that we need more information about how COVID testing is done at clubs because if it's just done on a lateral flow and. And clubs being honest, well, it's a system that's being up for abuse. And I think that's a way bigger conversation. Because even with a rapid test, you don't take two rapid tests and get two false positives. You take one, you get another one, you get something different. Okay, let's try a third. Okay. And I think that you should have to show PCR evidence of a player. And there needs to be a, a independent adjudicator doing these tests, like a there needs to be a company that is employed by the Premier League that is impartial doing these tests because this is a fix. It's yeah. a fix, and I can't believe people aren't talking about it more. I was going to say, Pete, um, the thing for me is, you know, when you talk about an independent adjudicator, that adjudicator doesn't need to come into play until you ask to postpone the game. You know, if you want to sit there and go, yeah, we've got eight players out and you don't want to play them, well, that's your fault. You know, you want to hamstring yourself to try and get, you know, a political, you know, uh, some point scoring. But if you try to postpone the game, they should be sending out independent people to do PCR tests. Because the other thing is, if you're if we're relying on them to tell the truth, they could have one geezer in the room with COVID just doing about seven tests going, oh, look at all of these. You know, at the end of the day... We, this the, the other thing is, COVID is a weird situation and it's put a different lens on football and there's another dynamic that has to be factored in, factored in another variable. But, you know, they were going, they're going to be without their best players because they're at the African nations. So away from COVID, they were going to suffer. And then to give them the ed- ejector seat of going, just say that loads of people are ill. And then you can go, all oh, right, it turns out. And. Know, it's and the, EF, EFL, the EFL top guy is Rick Parry. He used to work at Liverpool. And journalists say, oh, no, only fans see bias. I'm sorry. If this happened in real business, in real industry, where the governing bodies were giving um, favourable uh, you know, adjudications on, on things like COVID, you, you, would, you would have court cases. But when it's uh, when it's football, journal- I hate it when journalists come out. It's the laziest thing. They're like, oh, people see bias and it doesn't exist. It's like we all see it. And, and this is a prime example of it. But my 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 bigger concern, Chris Hudson, uh, good friend of the podcast. Um, love him to bits. He's on Arsenal Fan TV. He's one of the best. Um, his, his point is completely valid. What what stopped Arsenal getting a cancellation? 
what stopped Arsenal getting that cancellation against Brentford? And how did every other team um, manage to, to get it? Because those three games at the start of the season were all interlinked. You lose to Brentford, then you've got no chance against Chelsea and Manchester City. We should have had a, a, a postponement, but we didn't. And then to get screwed in the cup as well, Liverpool was saying that they had a, like a lot of cases, but Liverpool didn't have to say where the cases were coming from. You could have 100 people in HQ and then just bundle that in. It's like, why can't someone get a good process going? And this is why people think that there's corruption. And um, the bigger thing for them was that they were able, the way it all worked out, funnily enough, is that a Premier League game for them against Leeds United had to be moved and was moved from January later on in the season when all their players are back from the AFCON. Job done. The team team that's going to run you ragged. Job done. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. So I want to go on to the final topic of um, of today um, uh, because I know it's important to all of us. Uh, Arsenal did play in a, in in an all white kit today. Idris Elba, an absolute god of a man, um, was uh, was pushing the campaign. I've seen a few people saying that they didn't really understand why Arsenal needed to play in a white kit. It's like. Idris Elba just moved the entire world to focus on this. Anybody that supports Arsenal now knows about this campaign, which I think is valuable. Um, Johnny, what did you think about the campaign? Um, and like, how how is this moving the needle for knife crime in London? Well, you know, I have seen some people being detracted. First of all, it's an easy campaign to get behind. Like, you know, knife crime's awful and we need to do everything we can to try and eradicate uh, uh, the situation, you know, um, and improve upon it. Um, And some people are like, well, how's it going to change? How's it going to change wearing all white kits? You know, you're not going to stop people. Listen, whatever you think, at the end of the day, you have to try to do something. And these initiatives, even if they change one person's point of view or just get someone thinking about it in a different way, that's one person that wouldn't have done it before. So we, sh- we should be applauded. I- when I see stuff like this, I'm really proud of my club. Straight up, I'm really proud of them. Like, they are taking an active role in their community, trying to improve upon a dreadful situation. You know, but obviously, you know, if, if we want to dig any deeper, the fact is, is that knife crime isn't just about, you know, some kids running around with knives and stuff like that. And, oh, they're all just being aggressive. And there's a whole systemic list of systemic issues which lead to, you know, young kids, um, predominantly from impoverished backgrounds, get into such a desperate state where they think stabbing each other and killing each other is the right way to go. Thing, you know, the, the, the same thing to do. But it, it's about a lack of self-esteem as well, when you can kill other kids that look like you from the same backgrounds as you, rather than, you know, be able to enjoy both of your lives. And that, you know, there are systemic issues which drive um, knife crime as well as, um, the fact that the prevalence of knives on our streets. But when I see prominent Arsenal fans like Idris Elba coming out and and Adidas, you know, <laughs> some people might some people might look at Adidas's role in it all as being a little bit, you know, they're <laughs> oh, we're set, we've got these white kits that we're then gonna you know not sell, but we're driving up the interest in the brand. And basically, are you you know lacing up the corporate touch over real you know movements and social justice movements and it's the same things we've seen applied to BLM movements and pride and the way the whole commercialism attaches to it but overall I think 
I understand that point. I do get it. But I do think that Adidas are smart, at the very least, with what they do. They are really interweaving themselves into the fabric of what makes Arsenal Arsenal. And that was, we saw that with the big movements where they were trying to, you know, um, reconnect with Ian Wright. There's all about the Arsenal culture, you know, the history of the club and what it feels like to be an Arsenal fan. So when they do something like this, it further ingratiates them, as far as I'm concerned, with the fan base, because they're taking, they could just sit there and go, buy our buy our kits, buy our jerseys. And to a certain extent, you might say, again, the the critics will say, well, they're just selling a a one-off white jersey here. But I think they're at least, even though they are the the cynical approach, they are selling kits. They're also trying to make as much of a positive change as they can whilst doing it. And so fair fair play to Idris Elba, fair play to Adidas and fair play to Arsenal. I think it's it's a great idea, even if it leads to changing one person's mind. Well done, because um, you know we we can't do enough to stamp out a, a terrible um, situation that affects some really vulnerable people. Matt, I would be remiss not to ask you about uh, the actual campaign just in general, but you know, for the people that don't know, you've worked for some of the biggest uh, advertising agencies in the world. You are one of the foremost experts on brand that I know. Um, I'd love to get your opinion on what you thought about the campaign, but also what you thought about um, Adidas, the Adidas role in it, combined with how they're working with Arsenal. Let, let's start at the top and go, isn't it so much better to have Adidas as a sponsor than Puma? Uh, <laughs> oh. and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, it, at a baseline level, you could say they just understand Arsenal so much better than Puma. I think the reality is they hire advertising agencies like they did for Iris and this one who understand Arsenal way much better, but good on them. And they've invested in it and 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 it reaps benefits because frankly, over the last few years, Adidas has been the best thing about Arsenal. That's the craziest thing. <laughs> our kits, our drops, bringing back retro stuff. It's been the ads. They've been the best thing about supporting Arsenal for the last two or three years, which is insane. On the shirt itself, I thought it was a great PR stunt. Um, I love the way the shirt looks. I thought it was masterfully navigated through media. Saw Idris Elba at, at the city ground and some stupid commentator even had the gall to go, is he a Knott's Forest fan? <laughs> and it was like, Does the coolest man on the planet look like he supports Nottingham Forest? Absolutely not. So a lot to like. Um, I'd love to. I was going to make a joke about being willing to kill for that shirt because it's so it's just looks so so awesome as a as a as a single shirt. However, if you really want to dig deep into it, um, it's it's all marketing bullshit. I think if you really want to dig into it, and the reason for that is because the issue isn't around He's awareness. Savage. The issue He's isn't savage. around awareness of the issue. I think. I think awareness doesn't really help anyone the issue is around how are we going to get help at a grassroots level to change behaviors and so and i think we were talking about the people i would have loved them to put that shirt on sale with a limited number and all the money go to groups of people who need it and we could actually see the impact of that and it has a life that goes beyond one day because at the moment, now it's dead. And guess what? How much did they pay the ad agency for the campaign? Million, million pounds, probably. 
how much did all that media spend and all that stuff? They spent millions and millions of pounds on that, and now it's it's over. And there's some talk about it being used as a tool to for people uh, who are who are active in the community and all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, it's it's marketing. It's great marketing, uh, and 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 if it if it changes people's minds and it ha- maybe it has raised awareness. But the problem with the way human minds work is. Oh, you think you, you hear about something and you feel uh, it emotionally resonates with you and then you don't do anything about it. So I'd love to have seen something that just lasted a little bit longer than a day uh, that actually was a bit more grassroots in some way. Um, and, and hopefully there's still an opportunity for them to do that rather than just just leave it here. Um, and obviously um, it, the worst thing for that shirt was to go and be the infamous shirt that was worn. I mean, it's now a quiz question. <laughs> the question of when Arsenal were, were wearing all white and went out the FA Cup, what was it all about? And, you know, it, it's now it's now clouded in infamy. But look, great idea, great cause. Look, ho- let's just, hopefully they can think about how it has a longer life. I think, yeah. the, I think that was the thing that, I love the campaign. I love... Idris Elba, Ian Wright, all of the Arsenal players coming together for that video. The thing that the thing that I I missed is what was the what was the tie to something I could do as a fan, or Johnny could do, or you could do. The most obvious was just let's buy that damn kit. I spent I spent eighty for that. I spent yeah. eighty. I spent you know um, if you said listen, it's going to cost a hundred dollars because. 40 of that is going directly to Stephen Lawrence campaigns or um, Ben Kinsella or, or whatever it was. Yeah. But there's um, a, the, the takeaway that I had was it just, maybe it felt like it was an Idris Elba campaign to allow him to extract big amounts of money out of rich people that he knew versus got millions of fans around the world. And if you, even if you ask them, if you asked fans for five dollars or five pounds, and they got a, a, a white badge of Arsenal that they could put on their fridge, or you know anything, it didn't have. Um, it had a lot of awareness, but it, I don't know how I can help. And that was the that that was the miss. I agree. Well, I would I would have I would have bought that shirt because mm. uh, it just felt so unique, and the story around it was so special, and everything everything had me lured in. But at the end of the day. It didn't. Cost, Adidas, you know, they talk a lot about purpose and 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 standing up for something. And I think you saw it with Nike and Colin Kaepernick. And you know, they made him a hero of their campaigns, even when it could hurt them reputationally, because that's what they believe in. And I think that that's what standing up. Uh, Patagonia, another brand that stands for something. Whereas Adidas, it didn't cost them anything. They didn't lose any money. They didn't challenge anything. It wasn't like we don't make as much money, but we're going to sell the shirts anyway because we think it's important. It was only upside for them, and that's when it's really easy to stand for something, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I agree. I just just to you know end on that point. I I agree with what you guys are saying. It should have been a longer running thing, a hundred percent. And um, but I do think that it was nice in of itself. The idea being that you know they're going to auction all of these shirts. And the the money that it raises from auctions, and they'll get a lot of money for these shirts, but it will just be that one-off amount. And they are going to go to, um, you know, organisations that are helping to combat 
knife crime and help the victims of knife crime. So great causes. And I agree with you. If that was on sale and it was a support your club and, you know, support great causes, I think a lot of Arsenal fans would be like handing over their money straight away. I certainly would want my hands on that. It was... It, and it and it looks nice aesthetically, which is a, an extra bonus. But um, you know, maybe the door's still open for them to do that longer. Maybe they want to get that, you know, get the money down for the auction, and then just after they go, well done, you've got your one-off replica kit. Now we're putting them on sale for everyone else. <laughs> you pay twenty grand for yours, and now they're eighty quid in the shops. You know, well, well can let, you imagine someone at the Tollington or someone walking in in the next couple of games wearing one of those white shirts? It would be uh, be it wild. Would be, it would be it wild. Would be wild. Yeah. It would be wild. <laughs> they might not be going home in it. <laughs> they might not. All right, guys. Well, um, we have done an hour and twenty-seven minutes, which is the longest podcast we've ever done. But it was, uh, it it was a, a tough one, and it was a fun one, and then we ended on something that felt um, socially conscious of us all. So, um, Johnny, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm at I Johnny Cochran. Um, followers are always welcome on all of my socials, um, and yeah, doing bunches of podcasts and things like that which i'll release on twitter as and when but yeah follow me that'd be good matt you're too cool for that sort no, of thing no, is there no. anything you want to talk about today where can where can people find you yeah at matt candela on twitter i think um i think at the start of the year there's just been a, a i've realized there's nothing i like more to be honest than being on twitter talking with arsenal fans and uh think looking forward to the weekend it feels like i personally feel as excited about arsenal as i have in 10 years right now which is a great feeling and if it's like being 15 again I'm already excited about Liverpool this week it doesn't really I know we lost I know we lost I know it's terrible but something special is still brewing it's going to be ups and downs we've got Liverpool we've got Spurs I mean what more could you want in a week both away from home both huge games just imagine if we manage to not get thumped to Anfield and then go let's just forget Anfield Imagine if this time next week we're talking about a famous Arsenal victory at White Hart Lane. That's all I want. Um, I, want. I, I might say as well, by the way, I'm not going to be at the biggest podcast of the season ah, because I'm going on a belated honeymoon if I don't test positive for COVID tomorrow, which would be against the run of play anyway. But uh, I'm going to be on my honeymoon, guys. So and congratulations, there's no way I Johnny. Can, I can make the promise that I'm going to be able to dial in this time. <laughs> I don't know. I might. We'll see what happens. Maybe it's a bad all... start, Johnny. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you to everybody that listens to the, the podcast. We had our best month ever in, ever in December. We hit 24 in Great British Podcasts uh for a couple of days so that was uh unbelievable and if you're watching this and you're leaving comments we absolutely love you thank you so much and um yeah first uh well second big podcast of the year thank you for joining we will be back live on thursday and on that note ciao for now make sure you leave us a five-star review thank you I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. 
Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Sports Social Podcast Network.